our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. Do you feel like you have little control over this process? Do you want to learn about all of your birthing options? Do you understand the reasons behind policies and protocols that stand in the way of your preferences? As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being an observant Jewish mom, I take a special interest in the unique implications of this lifestyle. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of my Happy Birthway Podcast. This has been a dream, an idea of mine that has been gestating. Literally, I've been pregnant with this for a long time, longer than a human pregnancy. Okay, so firstly, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Khani Fingerer, aka Alex Fingerer. My Hebrew name is Khani, and my English name is Alexandra, or my secular name, and I go by Alex at work, and it's a good thing that I do because Khani would not be very easy to pronounce for my patients. Um, So thank you, parents, for giving me a secular name that even though I used to not like, I like very much right now. I am a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for six and a half years now. Started off with my first job in labor and delivery. Thank God that is exactly why I went to nursing school. And now understanding on an even deeper level about the complexities involved in just the challenges involved in getting a job on labor and delivery for any nurse. And then for a nurse who is an Orthodox Jew, and observing Shabbos even more so, I am so grateful to Hashem, so grateful to God for giving this gift to me. I actually went to nursing school in my um, mid to later 20s. My gosh, to think I thought I was so old then. I thought I was being such an old nursing student. Now I know the truth. I've seen much older nursing students. So I went back to school. I actually, when I was 18, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember at one point when I was looking into different career choices, someone mentioned to go to nursing school. And I said, what? Ew, no. Nurses have to work night shifts, wiping other people's butts. Like, that's not the kind of job that I want to do. Oh, the ignorance. It's, it's shameful. Anyway, so I actually became a nurse after I already had three kids. I had my first child when I was 21 years old, my first baby, my oldest. She's my oldest of four. 
when I became pregnant, I fell in love with everything having to do with pregnancy, birth, maternity, newborn care, breastfeeding. It, it was all just mesmerizing to me. And I really just found my love when I became pregnant at 21 years old with my first. I did tons of research and education. I took a childbirth education class. I dragged my husband along to it. Thankfully, he was pretty enthusiastic about it. I read a thousand books. I joined some support groups and blogs and and just read a lot. And I thought that I was so well prepared. And by nature, I'm like a feisty person and I'm pretty assertive. I know how to state my needs um, in a very kind, gentle, caring way, but I'm, I'm usually not a pushover. However, I was in for such a disappointing surprise after I gave birth to my first daughter, my first baby. And no matter how much education I did, I was so unprepared to deal with the problems that I encountered. And I remember after I gave birth, I I was finishing up my undergrad in liberal arts and sciences and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and realizing I want to be a nurse. I want to be a maternity nurse in particular And I want to be a kind and caring nurse. I want to be the kind of nurse that I wish that I had. And it all just clicked at that point. Um, So, I mean, there were some life circumstances that precluded me from going back to school at the moment. And I was working as a teacher and then I became a Uh, service coordinator for the New York City Early Intervention Program, which was a great and fulfilling career. I was waiting for my husband to get out of school because we felt like we couldn't do it together. And then I was going to go back. Finally, the time came. I went back and started just taking my prerequisites for nursing. I had three babies at that by that time. I had a lot of experience helping families. The New York City Early Intervention Program is um, known as the birth to three program in some other states. Any children with developmental delays in any area come to this program, are evaluated, and if they're deemed eligible, they receive services such as occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, etc. So my job was kind of in the social services arena where I managed a caseload and helped parents out, navigate the system, help them go to the meetings, etc. Very fulfilling, but I was really ready to do more. And labor and delivery and maternity was a huge passion of mine. So I took the plunge and shortly after the birth of my third baby, once my husband was graduated, I went back to school. Now, when I look back to think how I did it with three kids, I have no idea. That's like another episode. I'll talk about it in another episode. Interestingly enough, what pulled me through it, ironically, of all things, were podcasts. I'll talk about it in another episode. (laughs) So I went, I did my prerequisites for about two or three semesters and applied to a few nursing schools, got into NYU and some others, but I chose NYU. It was a great program. It was a very large program, which served me well because it was very diverse. It wasn't just, 
you know, young 21 year olds who were pursuing their first degree. There were a lot of people who had other professions that were going into the nursing career as a second profession, maybe even a third profession. We had a lawyer in my cohort. We had a nutritionist, at least one nutritionist in my cohort. So it was a really great program for me. They prepared me very well. They really gave me a well-rounded education and looked at systematic issues surrounding nursing as well as educating us with the basics of the knowledge that we needed to become a nurse. And this was very much aligned with the way I look at life in general. I like to look at things from a bigger picture and not just be in the small picture of, you know, exactly what's going on in front of me, but rather look at the greater cause of it and how we can improve certain things. And that's really the kind of philosophy that NYU had. And it gave me an excellent backbone and an excellent background to approach my career in general, especially given that maternal health is such a heavily loaded topic, women's health in general, and definitely maternal health, especially now where we are finally bringing up the extremely needed conversation about the immense, huge gap and health disparities in black maternal health and the much greater mortality rate because of racism. So when I graduated, I was extremely lucky to get a job at a prestigious hospital in the labor and delivery unit. And it's still my first love, that hospital. It will always be my first love. I left, um, sadly, because of just practicalities surrounding my life, other life circumstances at the time. I hope maybe to go back one day. But it was just an extremely amazing start that I got to this career that I'm in right now. I was able to see a lot of high-risk patients and conditions and learn about that. And at the same time, that hospital had a very heavy midwifery presence that focused on physiological birth. And anyone who came to the hospital desiring a low intervention birth, it was very much promoted and honored and respected. So it was really an amazing mix. There were some excellent nurse educators on that unit. I still think of them and so fondly. And they really shaped how my whole career has been. They really shaped my practice and how I practice today. And I still remember them. And I've been fortunate to meet one actually in the current hospital that I work at pre-pandemic times. She came with a friend who was giving birth. And um, I met another one when I gave birth to my daughter in that hospital after I had left already. So that was an excellent start to my career. God really led me to this. And I'm so grateful to him that he allowed me to pursue my dream career. And he led me to where I am right now. I know so many nurses who very much wanted to work in a specific area, in a specific field, 
And because of so many different factors, such as location or the lack of a job in the particular field that they wanted to get into and other things that they faced, other barriers that they faced, they were not able to get their dream jobs. And I'm just so grateful that I had a path that I wanted to pursue, that I was very passionate about one particular area and that I was able to pursue it right away. Now, along with being a labor and delivery, maternity and newborn care nurse, I do all of those things. I also teach a newborn care class in one of the hospitals that I work at. I currently work at two hospitals um, and I've worked in different settings. So I was really able to get a good feel for how they do things differently in different hospitals. Babies do come out of the same places, either the belly or the vagina, hopefully more often the vagina than the belly. But um, at the same time, there are so many varying practices and philosophies among different hospitals, different unit cultures, um, in terms of how receptive the nursing staff is and the healthcare staff is in general. I always say you cannot take the bias out of birth. There's always going to be some form of bias. Yes, we have research, but it's not black and white. And there are definitely two different camps where one is more pro the physiological birth part where let's let birth unfold on its own with as little intervention as possible versus the other philosophy of active management where birth is a medical event and requires medical intervention. And I have to say, I mean, to some point, there is definitely room for medical intervention in birth. And right off the bat, I want you all to know that that is my philosophy. You can't take the bias out of birth. I definitely believe that birth should be allowed to unfold physiologically while minimizing interventions that are not necessary, either because they're medically unnecessary or because the birthing person does not desire them and it would be safe to forego them. But at the same time, for centuries, Pregnancy and birth was a very scary time for women. When they were pregnant, there weren't these like pregnancy announcements with like the cutesy ultrasound pictures and Instagram announcements and then gender reveals and baby showers and Amazon gift registries. There was none of that. There was just fear because a woman knew that her life was literally at risk. So we are lucky to be living in a time where we have medical interventions available to us when they are necessary. I think that today is, in today's times, the biggest challenge that we have is figuring out when to use the medical interventions that we have and when not to. And they're driven by both safety and maternal preference. Because if a woman desires to get an epidural, that is considered a safe intervention. As long as she has the correct information to make that decision, it's according to desire. That's just one example. But then at the same time, if a woman's life is at risk or her baby's life is at risk and she declines an intervention, No one can force her, but she is actively putting herself or her baby's life at risk while doing that. Those are 
black and white situations. There are many, many, many gray situations. And that brings me to the foundational way that I view birth, that I practice as a nurse, and that I educate. And that is informed decision-making. Shared decision-making between a patient and her healthcare team. And not just that, but that the patient, the mother, needs to be educated thoroughly and given all of the information that is possible to give in order to allow her to make the decision that she believes is safest for her and for her baby. And sometimes we see in healthcare where that's the inevitable. Sometimes we see that there's no way that we can make a decision for a patient. For example, someone who's in labor with a 23-week-old baby, that's kind of like the borderline where either the baby can make it or not. And if the baby is going to make it, she needs to make a decision about whether we need to resuscitate that baby or just do comfort measures because if we resuscitate, maybe the baby will live, maybe the baby won't live, and very high chance that the baby will have deficits. So these are situations where we all acknowledge. I think the entire healthcare team can acknowledge that they cannot make a decision for parents um, how they will proceed in a situation like this. However, there are other areas where we take for granted that we are making a decision on behalf of a patient because it's standard care, so to speak. There's air quotes there. And people are not standard. Nobody is standard. Everybody is individual. Everybody has varying preferences. Everyone has different life experiences. Everyone has different goals, has different visions for their birth, for how they're going to raise their babies. And I think that our job is to inform mothers more than we do. And this is a huge, huge motivation for me starting this podcast because a woman's provider doesn't realistically have enough time to sit there with her and spend the hours and hours and hours needed in order to discuss all of the information that she can possibly have to make the best available decision to her. As well, a provider is a human, so they can make mistakes and leave some important things out by mistake or not realize that this is important information to include, and that's okay. And that's where childbirth educators come in, and that's where maternal health education in general. I've always like, I'm confused about how to even call it childbirth education. It's so much more than childbirth education. I talk about from preconception all the way through the postpartum period and beyond that. I also talk about women's health things. So I don't even know what to call it. You know, I'm gonna have to find like an acronym that encompasses it all. It's not just childbirth. The goal of this podcast is to interview lots of experts in order to give you a well-rounded view, because like I said, you can't take the bias out of birth. There's definitely going to be some leaning by every single maternal health provider to some slight degree. And that's okay, because like I said, no one is standard. And you know, even from doctor to doctor, 
the medical model is known to have more of a view of childbirth being a medical event, but at the same time, some doctors will be a little bit more offhand and others will be a little bit more aggressive. And one is not necessarily more right than the next, depending on the circumstances. And some mothers prefer low, as low intervention as possible, and others they just want it all, and they will ask for a C-section because they don't even want to go into labor. So there is a huge spectrum, and my purpose of interviewing multiple experts in areas and often talking about the same topics with different experts is to enable you to get a better understanding about the issues surrounding different kinds of medical situations, different kinds of birth situations. And that way, you'll be able to better form your own opinion and your own decisions together with your healthcare provider about what you need. Okay, so I need you to know something about providers. When I say providers, that refers to either an obstetric doctor or a family practice doctor who is also qualified to provide maternity care and to deliver in a hospital and also a midwife who is qualified to provide maternity care, outpatient maternity care and to provide postnatal care and to um, deliver in a hospital or birthing center or home and also a PA who is Again, if if their training is in maternal health, they will see patients in the office under the supervision of an obstetric physician, obstetrician, OBGYN. All of those are one and the same. And also there are some hospitals that will have PAs that attend births as well. Not everyone does. When I say healthcare provider, I am referring to all of those. Let's address this uncomfortable topic of the fact that many women do not trust their providers. I have worked with some really bad providers who I saw do terrible things to women that should not have been done, and I was not in a position to stop it. At the same time, I have worked with phenomenal providers who provide excellent, top-notch quality care and who are personable and kind and nice. And I have to say, the providers that are excellent, even they made mistakes or not even made mistakes. Even they made decisions that were founded in research, that were evidence-based and that were appropriate decisions to make. But even their patients did not have the outcome that was desired. My reasons for telling you all of this is because many people have lost trust in the healthcare system in the United States at large, especially when it comes to caring for maternal health patients. And not for no reason, historically, There have been terrible things that the medical community has done in order to lose the trust of so many women who gave birth. However, 
I want to reassure you that that is changing. I see it before my very own eyes from the 14 years ago where I gave birth to my own daughter until now. It is changing before my very eyes, slowly, but it is changing. And the more information that women who are giving birth have, the more they'll know to ask, and the more they'll know to assert themselves and to advocate, and the more confident they'll feel when they make a decision that may be disparaged by a member of the healthcare team, where they may be ridiculed, where even if it's not the preferred decision that the provider will make, it's not inherently an unsafe decision. It just may not be what the provider prefers. So it's kind of provider's preference versus patient's preference, and there has to be a balance. There has to be some form of teamwork. I think that the healthcare system can be very intimidating, especially in a hospital setting. When a patient comes to the hospital, and oftentimes, if you're a healthy woman who's never had any surgeries or other major illnesses, you're coming to the hospital for the first time in your life to give birth, and it can be very scary. All of the healthcare staff are in a position of power, and you can feel really powerless. So it can be intimidating to assert yourself and to advocate for yourself, and it can be even harder to do in a way that gives the message that you want to collaborate together and that you're all in it for the same outcome. It would be most ideal if you had an excellent provider that you felt was extremely qualified and that you trusted implicitly. I don't think that anyone has that these days. Maybe a few people do. It's much more common today to have a group of providers. So you may even just see one provider throughout your entire pregnancy, but when it comes to giving birth, there's a group of seven of them and you can have any one of the seven. You can also have a nurse in the hospital that you've never chosen and you don't know whether that nurse is good or not. One of the things that I'm very passionate about is teaching women what questions to ask in order to help them determine whether their provider is a good fit for them. And if you don't know the basic information, if you don't know what the standards of care are, then you won't know what questions to ask and you may not even know that your provider may be doing something that is old style of practice and new research has shown up since that dictates differently. I'm very passionate about giving tools of communication in order to enhance the collaboration with your healthcare team and in order to remind your healthcare team that you are at the center of it and that you are not a standard person. So you may not necessarily be following the standard policy and the standard protocol and that it's not completely unsafe to go outside of it if necessary and that it's not written in stone and that there are ways to make requests that will much more likely be honored if they're made in a specific way. Going back to when I told you about my education at NYU, where they were very focused on looking at the systems problem. I look at the systems problem of why are patients dissatisfied with their care? Why do women come out of their birth feeling disrespected, feeling traumatized, 
And their birth is not even necessarily a traumatic birth. Objectively speaking, if you wrote it in a book without including the patient's feelings, it may seem like a standard normal delivery that many people wish they could have because they had complicated deliveries and medical conditions that required emergent cesarean births and babies who needed to be resuscitated and were at risk of losing their lives. So sometimes it can look like someone had a really normal standard birth, but if they were treated like just a passenger on a bus and their control was taken out of their hands without anyone asking them where they wanted to go, whether they wanted to make bathroom stops, which seat they wanted to sit on, whether they were feeling nauseous on the bus, then they're going to be dissatisfied with their birth at best, probably more likely, traumatized. So if a woman expresses her desires and her preferences and they are not respected, even if she would have chosen the same thing that her healthcare team chose for her, her satisfaction level would be completely different. With all of that said, there are systems in place in hospitals. There are policies and protocols for your safety. There are reasons for them, and they work, and they do keep patients safe. But if for one reason or another, it doesn't make sense to you, it is completely reasonable to question, to try to understand. And oftentimes, I find that when I explain things to my patients, their perception changes, and they understand that it's to protect them, and they're okay with it. So I encourage you to ask questions and to investigate, not to oppose policies and not to defy what is recommended. So I just want to make that clear. It needs to be a balance, but it's okay for you to question. And if someone in the healthcare system makes you feel like you're being uncooperative, like you're being defiant, it's okay for you to assert yourself respectfully so that you can feel that agency over yourself that every single person should have. In many episodes here, you're going to hear different tools to use in order to be able to make it very clear that when you do ask questions, it's not because you want to be uncooperative, it's not because you want to be a difficult case, it's truly because you want to look out for yourself, you want to make sure that you get the best care for your personal situation and the healthcare system is not flawless. People make mistakes, providers make mistakes, the best of providers make mistakes, nurses are human, the best of nurses make mistakes, but you can be that added extra layer looking out for yourself and your safety. Some of you may be listening to this and think that I'm crazy because you may have a phenomenal provider that you trust implicitly or you've given birth one time or several times and you've had an incredible team. And I really wanna validate that and I think that there's going to be a growing number of you that are going to feel this way because the culture is shifting. So if you're someone who didn't have a good experience, I want this to be reassurance for you. And if you're someone who has just entered this entire world of having babies, I want this to be reassurance for you as well. 
because it doesn't have to be a bad experience. It can be a great experience or it can be a mediocre experience. And no matter what kind of experience it is, you need to know about your body, about your health. And the more you know, the greater of a chance that you'll have better outcomes and that you will stay safe and that you walk away really satisfied with very positive memories and feelings of such an important event in your life. Another one of my purposes for starting this podcast is to highlight to you from the back end what the limitations are of taking care of women. And when I say limitations, I'm not placing blame necessarily. We all know that you can't schedule birth. You can't figure out a scientific formula of having the exact outcomes that you want. We don't know exactly when you're going to go into labor. We don't know exactly what your baby's going to do. We don't know if the minute that you go into labor, another 20 women decide to get on a bus and all go into labor together and get to the hospital. So I think that when people understand the back end and the reasons behind why maybe they feel like they didn't get the best care that they could, and when they understand that it wasn't necessarily because healthcare providers didn't care about them, but it rather was because of different limitations and barriers, even though their experience could have been technically better by understanding the inner workings and the effort that is required to provide the care, their experience can be significantly changed. I've received on my Instagram account so many messages from women saying that they never realized how hard labor and delivery nurses work, specifically labor and delivery nurses, because I can speak on that the best since that's what I am. But I will tell you also different challenges that providers have, especially we'll be having providers, obstetricians, midwives on this podcast. And when they talk about the behind the scenes and the effort required to provide the care that they do, then it can really improve your experience because you better understand the effort that is being put in. When you hear us talking about these things on the podcast, I want to make it clear that it's not to show you how amazing we are. I mean, I think we are pretty cool, but it's not to show you how amazing we are. It's more to give you a better experience. And it's interesting how that works, but it works really, really well. Lastly, I want to talk about my background as an observant Orthodox Jewish woman. Growing up this way, I have seen many issues that relate specifically to women who observe this lifestyle. There is a large spectrum of observance of Orthodox Jewish laws, and each sect, whether it's modern Orthodoxy or ultra-ultra Orthodoxy, has different issues that come up when it comes to having babies. Our society is extremely family focused, which means that we have a high birth rate and it's extra important for women who are having a lot of babies to understand about their health. Even if you're not Jewish, you may find our conversations interesting. When I started working in the hospital, my coworkers began asking me questions about the strange things that they saw 
observant Jews do. And I admit, if you have no context and understanding behind our practices, sometimes they can look super weird. My coworkers were always afraid that they would offend me by asking me, but actually contrary to their fears, I love it. Firstly, because I think that it may normalize things a little bit, it may connect us more as humans, but secondly, it really made me look more into my practices and learn more about them and understand them better, which I should be doing. So I think that the conversations here will be interesting for everyone. And P.S., Jews do go on birth control. I'm just saying, and we don't do it through a hole in the sheet. Just saying. I want to emphasize that this podcast is in no way designed to give any medical advice and in no way designed to give any Jewish law advice and interpretation. Jewish law is extremely specific to the situation and childbirth is an extremely specific event for each birth. If you hear something on any of the episodes that doesn't feel right to you, please investigate accordingly. I do not ever claim to have all the answers. I do not claim to be correct 100% of the time. Sometimes you'll hear birth stories that may have information that contradicts information that you received from your healthcare provider. I urge you to develop a relationship with a healthcare provider that you trust and to always run that by them. The same for a rabbi. I urge you to develop a relationship with an Orthodox Jewish rabbi that understands your particular circumstances in order to help determine the best course of action for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my first episode. This is a very momentous milestone for me and I'm so grateful that you've joined me in it. In the next episode, you're going to hear my own birth stories because what better way than to start off with those. I hope that you have a great day and until next time. Thank you for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. If you're looking to learn even more about pregnancy and birth, check out this episode's show notes for a link to my Instagram account, Yolwadet Academy. Before I sign off, I want to impart the value of seeking care from a qualified and trusted provider. Each person's situation is unique and requires individualized medical advice. The information here is not intended to replace that, but rather to educate you on what questions to ask. My mission is to enable you to communicate your needs and confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last.
Shop now at hannahanderson.com.